Hello and welcome to the 361 Podcast, Season 10, Episode 3. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Raven Blanford from the All About Sites. And I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. This week we're looking back to the mobile industry of 2010. We're engaging in a bit of nostalgia and marvelling at how far we've come in the last five years. And we're looking at the hits, the misses and a few things we've forgotten about. Thanks to our friends from TigerMobiles.com, we've got a fantastic prize if you sign up for our exciting new newsletter. Welcome back, chats. How are you doing? I am very good. How are you? I would, in you in language, I'm rocking. Your, Rafe is rocking, wow. literally. I think he's probably having some kind of breakdown. It's been a busy old week for you. It has, and it's starting to get quite late for recording, and I can hear the party going on outside in Brick Lane. There we go. Mm-hmm. You, McLeod, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. I'm, I'm just, I, I was going to say rocking, but I can't. You can't. He's stolen I'm your perfectly thunder. fine, thank you very much. Yeah, perfectly perfectly well, acceptable. Excellently yes. phrased. Thank <laughs> you. Phrased. Have you any news? No, no, nothing, nothing beyond the the generic reality. Well, I've got some news that I can sorry, talk about. Well, I, I don't, I don't have any news. I'm just quite happy. Don't right. show up to a podcast recording with nothing to say. It's actually something that caught my interest recently, which was anywhere sim, and it's something we talked about in the past. And it's actually the idea of uh, kind of MVNO that works across all the UK networks, so effectively national roaming, and they're selling it as being able to get a phone signal anywhere. And actually, I think it's kind of an attractive idea because we all know that there are parts of the country where some operators don't work very well and uh, people will gather around one particular operator in an area, but then you go somewhere else on holiday and it doesn't work. So yeah, anywhere, Sim, good idea. We've talked about national roaming. In practice, the implementation of this is a bit interesting. It's a pay-as-you-go network. It's going to be 5p per minute for calls, 5p for SMS and 5p per megabyte for data. But nonetheless, I really like the fact that operators in this case are thinking of a slightly different way of doing things. Oh, was that an Apple Watch update? It was. I don't know how to mute it yet. Just come back to me in about three weeks' time. Have you not got the UI right yet? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Have you only had it for, what, how long? A couple of weeks now. Okay, right. (laughs) Rafe, interestingly, when we talked about national roaming last time, it was in the context of the government perhaps forcing operators to do that to get coverage. And we said, like, it wouldn't work well because phones would cling on to weak signals rather than jumping onto other networks that had strong signals and so on and so forth. And you know, the actual user experience would be a bit flaky. But this could be a niche product if sold to people who kind of really had a need for always on connectivity. Yeah, and I think it's like kind of the international sims in that sense. It's not a mass market. It's in a niche and it's still going to have this problem once you're on a call, it's going to stay on the same network. But I think it does avoid the kind of government enforce or the regulatory thing in that it will encourage the networks that are hosting it to invest and to improve their infrastructure, which was one of the big concerns around kind of government mandated national roaming. What's the data deal on that? It's 5p per megabyte. So uh, oh, yeah, it, yeah. as it currently forms, it's kind of, it's not great. And it's actually no 4G, for example. But I just like the fact there's a different business model being applied. Yeah, yeah it's 5p per megabyte on O2. It's 10p per megabyte on other networks. Oh, okay. So obviously, I think O2 is kind of the home network that it roams off that. One little bit of news from me. Excellent. I, I got smart meters fitted in my Ooh. house. Now, what, what type of smart meters? So they are... That luminous British gas one. So I've got electricity and gas meters. Yeah. The electricity meter has two SIM cards in it for two different mobile networks, wow. which connects up to my utility provider and sends meter readings in real time. And the meters use Zigbee, which is a wireless um, 802 
11 standard. I'm looking at the Rafe Blanford, yeah, who's not just reassuring yes. me that I've remembered that correctly. That's right. um, they talk to each other using Zigbee, and so the gas meter doesn't have any SIM cards in it at all. It sends the data over to the electricity meter, oh. who does the hard yards of, of uploading it. And then um, I've got a little in-home gateway that means I can then see my my usage and all that kind of stuff through a website. So, and you're feeling good with that? Well, I'm kind of excited because when I first got it all installed, I thought it was just going to be a case of the meters were going to hook up to my broadband and I was going to upload the data and then I was going to see it on my supplier's website. But actually, my meters have got their own connections and I've got connections to the meters and it, it's loads, way, it's way more complicated than I thought it was going to be. I was really impressed that he fitted this new meter outside my house, this new supply, yeah. and I had to turn all the power off and everything. And he just casually said, oh yeah, it's got you know connections from a couple of networks just in case the signal's weak around here. Wow, and that's the kind of machine to machine stuff. Get, did you actually hire someone to do that for you? No, no. So, my, my utility provider said, Hey, do you want a smart meter? And I went, Yeah, okay, cool. And they did it for free. Okay, look, I've, I've come up with something since you forced me. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry that my old one out. I, you I, I, and your fancy, speaking of fancy, crazily priced Apple watches that aren't any better other than the fact they look good. When did you become the champion for thrifty spending? <laughs> What's the point? No, it's not thrifty. All you've done is paid more for something that. Only looks better. Right. Anyway, anyway you'll anyway. use you. Right. My, right. Next my, time he comes in in a German street suit, pinstripe or something like that, just remind me to tell him that you could have got the same in, in you know, man at CNA or bought off the peg at Walmart, but you know, it's just the same. It's not the same. That's the point. Go on, get on with That's your news. That's the point. The internals of mine are the same as yours. Anyway, get on with it. I was the first that I'm aware of to use... <laughs> Big caveat for whatever that was. Well, the first that everyone at Edinburgh Airport who were on duty at BA to use my Apple Watch to board the plane. And did it go seamlessly? Yeah. Well, I took the watch off. So Just, no, is the answer. Well, I took the watch off because I, I was afraid of scaring the lady. <laughs> yeah, we're just going, Ta-da. And I don't know. I think my wrist would have fit under the reader. I'm not sure if it does. So a friend of the show, I think it's Sam Machin, although I'm probably misattributing, was saying on Twitter just a, a week or so back now, precisely that, that he just witnessed somebody fail to scan their boarding pass because they couldn't get their wrist under the reader in mm-hmm. an airport. So I think it's a concern. Yeah, that is a problem. Uh, it's also a problem for when you check in on BA flights because you can't put your hand under it, so you've got to lift the watch off. Actually, and this is going to be a, another one as well because, of course, when... At WWDC a few weeks back, Apple announced that London Underground was going to be a, a big, you know, kind of flagship name that was going to use Apple Pay. And you could walk up to the gate, the ticket barriers at a tube station and just use an Apple Pay device to go through. Mm. And they say the watch. Well, those barriers have a kind of a big pad that you touch your card down at about yeah. a 45 degree angle at kind of waist height. Mm feels like it's going to be a very awkward angle to twist your hand and wrist down yeah, and, not ideal, and swipe and also maintain a walking pace because if you slow down or stop, about a million people in rush hour are going to just walk over you. Look. Yeah, and yeah. tut because yeah. we're, we're British and that's how we express our anger, yeah. our pent-up rage. It's yeah. going to be even worse than people who stand on the wrong side of the escalator. Exactly. I feel we've drifted somewhat from mobile technology now. But yes, I think these are good points because when we first saw NFC entry back in Mobile World Congress, one of the first things we realised was that actually it was a real 
pain in the backside. Not fast enough. Well, it wasn't fast, but also nobody knew where the chip on their phone was. Yeah. So they spent ages swiping the whole device. And it wasn't until you learned that it was in kind of which corner or bottom or edge it was, you could actually lay the device reliably down on the reader. And it was really fascinating watching the world's mobile industry singularly fail to get into their own event you know, using that. a technology that. that they were assuring us was about to take over the world. So, Okay, guys, what are we talking about this week, Ewan? Oh, it's a wicked one today. That's because we're talking about five years in mobile. Okay, so we've been running this podcast for quite some time now. Four years now. Yes. And what we've decided to do is go back five years. So not far away from when we started recording. And look at what key announcements or notable highlights took place within those five years. And you know what? Since we're talking about nostalgia and memory, mm. it's just reminded me that I haven't told everyone that we're still running that competition to win the smartphone you think is the best in the market. Oh, you're right. So right. I'm just going to quickly interrupt you and say yeah. our friends at tigermobiles.com want to know what you think the best phone on the market is. And you can tweet us at 361podcast, mm. you can email us, or we would much, much prefer it if you went to the 361 website and uh, phoned us or left us a voicemail. There's numbers there for the UK, US, and Skype. But the great thing is, if you do that and then you also sign up for our newsletter, you could win that handset that you think is the best. By the way, can we just be clear that when you we're saying can you sign up for the newsletter, you can unsubscribe at any time. And we're not going to use your data to do things with it other than email you. We're cool, guys. You trust us, yeah? I mean, yeah. Give, us, give us your personal details. Well, you're putting us in your ears. All the usual rules apply around handling your data. And when you sign up, you'll see the details in the newsletter. You can just unsubscribe at any time. And there's all the policies and, uh, and rules there. I just thought it'd be really cool because um, we're, we're talking about stuff that happened five years ago. I was thinking, well, what if people were thinking, oh, I wish I could really have a brand new smartphone right now while they're listening to all these happy reminiscences of the things that we had. Indeed. Anyway, okay, so how on. are we going to do this? Because basically we got together and we sat down and we went, oh, do you remember? And Oh, do you remember? I feel like we should have a pint. Oh, oh, this is a proper yes, nostalgia actually, episode. Yes, you're absolutely right. And yeah. all I've got is Diet Coke and, and disappointment. And some fruit pastels. Actually, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't got many fruit pastels yet because Rafe Blanford bought the bag, put them near me, and I've now eaten most of them. Mm. Sorry, Rafe. I mean, I think we should just begin the reminiscing now because you will, I think, dear listener, be surprised that five years ago was a long time ago and actually not that long ago as well. So shall we begin, Blanford? Do you want to go first? Go on. It was the time of peak symbion. It was Ray Blanford has suddenly perked up. It, it, it was when uh, Symbian sold its most units ever in a quarter, getting up to 25 million odd Symbian devices, which at the time sounded like an awful lot, and it was far more than anyone else was selling. But it was also the era of the N8. It was one of those great camera phones. We also saw the E7, effectively the last of the communicator family. Actually, one of my personal favorites, the C7. But yeah, they were announcing a whole bunch of handsets because you also got things like the E5, the X5, the E73, and a, and a whole bunch of other ones. Was, also, uh, some was, of the. For the, me, when it was starting to fall apart. You know, I remember about 2010 yeah. and Nokia N97. Yeah. Oh, that was a shocker. Now, it was meant to be the iPhone fix, wasn't it? That was their response to the iPhone. Horrible capacitive screen, horrible UI, unreliable, underpowered. I, in fact, I remember back before the 361 podcast was even a twinkle, I was involved in making some video reviews of it and I actually had a proper, proper argument with James Watley, which we pretended, I think, on the screen was like a, a jokey argument, but it was actually a fundamental disagreement on the day. What was Watley like in it? 
He, he really likes it, yeah. And I thought it was terrible. And it turns out I was right. And, uh, you know, I'm man enough to come here five years later and gloat about that. Uh, well, it was point. interesting, you because know, do you remember we went to MWC that year and did a whole bunch of interviews, including one with Ansi Van Yocchi, who was a senior Nokia executive at the time and actually later that year ended up resigning because he didn't get made CEO and Stephen Elop did. But at mm. that MWC in Barcelona, we sat him down and he basically admitted that the N97 was a bit of a dog's breakfast. And it was one of the very few times I've sat in an interview and basically had an executive say that the product they'd announced the previous year just wasn't up to scratch and mistakes had been made with all the software. Your interview went really, really big. I mean, proper... It's super viral. I saw it in a lot of places, let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah, no, it, it made it onto all the big blogs. You know, and it was, was big news. And actually, What was the headline? Because his headline was something like... Oh, Rafe Blanford makes anti and Yoki cry. Finnish man weeps for shame as Blanford slams his shoddy device. In a sauna. In Sorry. a sauna. Yeah. There were a whole bunch of other interviews, but actually, yes, you're right. That's the one that landed. But one of my abiding memories from that was Asi Van Yoki didn't quite get the pronunciation of my name and he called me Raffi. Raffi. So ever since then, most of the Nokia PR department has referred to me as Raffi, the Spanish blogger. And there we go. And, and that's, ultimately why, Raffi, that's ultimately why the firm had to be shut down and well, dismantled, quite. wasn't it? Well, it also, I was very proud. And actually, under Yuri's influence, I got an All About Symbian branded jacket. That's right. Which Ansi Van Yocchi stole. Stole? stole. Or at least it went missing in the time that I did the interview. And when I went back, it wasn't there anymore. You underestimate just how much Nokia people wanted All About Symbian gear. While we're talking about failures, horrendous, horrendous failures, of course... July 2010 was Steve Jobs getting up on stage talking about the iPhone 4 antenna gate. Oh, yes. Ah, right. So the iPhone 4 launched in 2010. Yep. And there was a horror. The antenna gate began. And that's when, of course, you... Held it and it dropped signal. Well, if you squeezed the phone... You didn't have um, to squeeze it. You just had to hold it over the two bits of the antenna. But if you squeezed it hard, the thing just went boom, no signal. That was back in the day, though, where particularly people from BlackBerry and Symbian or, or, or Nokia would sort of tart and shake their heads and would it's say, well, well, it's not a proper phone. You see, the thing is, when you've been making handsets as long as we have, you understand about how to deal with radio interference mm. and antenna performance. And that really is what distinguishes that. Why are you all buying it? You know, yes. uh, <laughs> it, it's broke. Oh, oh you love the rest of I, it. I know? think it was when the reality set home, that despite making what I think we can all say was actually fairly big mistake and they did later correct it. it was a fairly easy engineering problem to solve but they had the whole you're holding it wrong here's a free bumper but despite that it basically didn't have an impact on iphone sales in fact yeah. it just made it even more visible it was astonishing really astonishing i've written a lot about this during that period if you, if you want you can go and read read it as i was living it real time i was just astonished that they were able to get away with it steve jobs saying basically you're holding it wrong i still say this to young people say i can't seem to i just say oh, you're holding it wrong but why that happened though i've read a lot and i've spoken to a lot of people about this it was well this is the rumor it's because apple their testing strategy to that date in 2010 was limited to ensuring that the iPhone in public when they're walking around Cupertino or, or San Francisco testing it, it had to be disguised. Mm. So they didn't actually test that issue in the wild because all the iPhones they were testing were always covered up in for security case. purposes to try and hide it so you couldn't, couldn't see them. Obviously, that's not happened again. But we've had, we've had bend gate and screen gate and... Still doesn't matter, does it? No. I mean, because I think any other company would be tarred with that bend gate thing and that model would be a, a complete farce. They'd have to bring them back and the only fix is to give you a new one. 
that's why I think Apple get away with that. But like Bengate, mine did. Yeah. You know, show up to the store, give you a new one. Yeah. You know, even with the best will in the world, even at their peak, Nokia didn't have a retail right. presence that meant it was easy to just go down the shops and, and get it replaced. You didn't go, you didn't say, no, I don't want a new one. I want my money back. No, that, exactly. That's another yeah. interesting point. Yeah. And they, but they didn't try and fob me off with a refurbished one. Like, Bosch, there's a new one in the box, you know, still yeah. in the cellophane. Job yeah. done. Yeah. Um, Samsung Galaxy S, maybe less exciting now in retrospect. And even at the time, it was a kind of weird, nothing Android device, wasn't it? I remember yeah. sort of being a bit nonplussed Very by it, plastic. But it went massive, and it was probably sowed the seeds for the whole Samsung Galaxy range. But see, I think what they did with the, the Galaxy is, S is they priced it very, very well, because it's just slightly cheaper than the iPhone. It was premium phone, or pitched premium, but it was slightly cheaper. But also, it began to make Android look reasonably appealing because to that point, you know, okay, it was still a bit plasticky and it wasn't kind of iPhone quality, but it was pretty good. And, you know, Samsung's made their money out of the Galaxy brand over time, haven't they, Rafe? Yeah, and bear in mind this was Android 2.1, which was actually, I would say, quite some way behind the other OSs at that point. They were inconsistent. But it was also the whole design language and all of that. But this was also the area of the HTC Desire. The Desire line is actually arguably HTC's most successful kind of family of devices. But also, interestingly, that was the time of the Google Nexus One as well. So that Nexus lineup coming onto the market. First time Google ever did a handset. Indeed. And as Ben says, it kind of made Android come of age in a way. I remember having the review unit for that one, and it wasn't the best at anything, but it was clearly a credible It was nice to see that, wasn't it? A mobile fan had made it. But also, Samsung brought some of that consumer electronics kind of gloss too. You know, it came packaged nicely, it had decent charger and all the stuff in the box, and all those kind of silly little things that actually, you know, I think back to some of the other Android devices, the out-of-box experience wasn't particularly polished uh, mm. and Samsung understood you know, what you wanted to get when you were buying a piece of consumer electronics. You yeah. wanted a bit of glitz. and I mean, it, it's interesting because I think you can see the seeds of modern Android in that. And I want to talk about, you know, switch back to Symbian, but not to talk about Symbian, but to talk about the 5230 family of devices which were being announced in that period and a whole bunch of follow-ons as well. They well were I mean, the, no, I don't remember the 5230. So this was, this was the cheap Nokia Symbian phone. The cheapest ones. Yeah, it was very plasticky, but this was under a hundred pounds, and oh, it was the first. It was as the, opposed to all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first smartphone to kind of get to that low price point yeah. and set us up for the era of cheaper smartphones. And you know, they got down to kind of fifty, sixty pounds on pay as you go by the end of their life. And it was just this idea you could see in that the kind of thing that smartphones would become a mass market device that everybody would own. And you know, Nokia were quite far-sighted in that respect. Always, Symbian was about getting the cost down, but they kind of lost sight of the high end of the market. And that's when you kind of saw the writing on the wall for them. You saw that Samsung and Sony Ericsson both said they weren't going to do future Symbian devices. We saw Stephen Elop coming in as the new CEO. And at that point, it was quite clear a big dramatic change was going to happen. It just wasn't clear whether it was going to be Migo and actually Migo was another thing that happened in 2010. That was the merger of MIMO from Nokia and Moblin from Intel. And so there was very definitely a, you know, a big shift was about to happen. And in all of that, we were having the new platform announcements. In that time, I remember what I perceived to be, and you would have been a lot closer than this because I only went to a few events, was a massive conflict between the teams responsible Absolutely. for Symbian and Migo. And I remember going to a Migo event where the N900, there was, was that the, the, the yeah. slide out? Yeah. There was a large form factor, sort of the first 
the only commercial device that actually really ran Mego. It wasn't bad. It was okay. I had one actually. I, I quite yeah. liked it for a while. I mean, it, it had its shortcomings, but it was, a, it was a hell of a lump. But it, it sat happily enough in a soap pocket. But I, and after a few drinks, some of the product managers there sort of saying, "Oh, well, we're going to be the smartphone operating system, and uh, Symbian's going to be the kind of the lower end mm. kind of thing." And are you sure? You know, is that like an official statement you're making? Because you know, no one can work out what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, that's definitely what's going to happen. And then, you know, of course, in the cold light of day, huge backpedaling. And it was really interesting for me because I didn't mix in those circles like you did, Rafe, to see those kind of arguments bubbling out to the surface in quite a, an uncontrolled way. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, being close to it, the level of vitriol between those two teams was really very significant indeed. And effectively both blamed each other for the kind of the failure or the downturn of Nokia. That whole Memo Amiga story then played out over the next few years about who was going to be the future and not getting delivered on time and ultimately led into the switch the next year, of course, to Windows Phone that Stephen Elock put in. But up until that point, there had been a couple of years of really very serious infighting and it had always been they would move towards a Linux-based platform but those uh, internally supporting Symbian wanted it to last longer and equally the other way around. I think it was one of the biggest contributory factors because Nokia and leadership almost refused to make a decision about it. They had these two work streams you know, side by side and it ended up being very damaging to the company. Well, speaking of another company that wasn't quite getting it at this point, although I think we were all quite happy with BlackBerry or RIM, Research and motion, as they were known at this point, back in 2010. Research stagnating. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always wondered about that. Anyway, remember the Blackberry Torch? Yeah. Does that qualify as one of the biggest dogs? I don't know. I, I actually really enjoyed my Torch. It was a big workhorse for me. Because basically the keyboard slid down behind the screen. But the keyboard was horrible before it, though, wasn't it? Because the whole reason to have a BlackBerry, like the kind of the archetypal BlackBerry yeah. was a bold. Yes, you know, the bold was big key, good. Big, yeah. high-quality keyboard, just like does one job really well. And the torch kind of smushed the keyboard on a slidey thing that wasn't quite as comfortable to hold. It gave you a big hold. screen, though. I love the big it screen. It did give you a big screen, but it cramped up the keyboard and... I think ultimately that was a rush device that BlackBerry was trying to get out in response and consequently yeah. end up doing massive damage because the return rates on that were incredibly high. And, you know, that was, for me, the beginning of the end of BlackBerry. But mm. it wasn't the only kind of um, new platform not exactly doing brilliantly. We've mentioned Windows Phone in passing, um, and that was in yes. 2010 with HTC and Samsung, 1.5 million devices sold in the first six weeks. Little momentum actually until Nokia then switched kind of uh, a year later. But we also had the Samsung Wave, which was the first BADA OS phone. That was Samsung's wow. proprietary. I remember and, and, that. And it's kind of, you can think of an almost an alternative world where Samsung Galaxy phones were all powered by that rather than Android. It didn't happen. But I think Microsoft probably gets the, the prize for the biggest failure, Ewan. The turkey, yep. Okay, right. Does anyone remember the Microsoft Kin? I was so excited about this. I'd never, you know, I've never actually seen one in the flesh. No, you, you need to Google it. I could see one online. Yeah, I've seen well, one. I, mean, I, yeah. I want to physically, you know, would have liked to have played with no, one. No, you, you can, you, sorry, I should have said you can only Google them. I'm sure there's some somewhere in a vault in there are Redmond. Kin 1 and Kin 2. And you and I think you've got a Kin disaster, wasn't it? On how many were actually sold. And they were only available in the US on Verizon. Yeah, I mean, this is a bit of an urban legend because we're pulling it off various different websites. I remember writing about this. Rumour has it that they sold 503. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, Before I, Microsoft I, went, all right, okay, screw it. Okay, let's, let's stop this. Well, I wonder how long they waited you know, for the 504th one before they went, guys, I don't think this is quite working out for us. Well, you would feel a little bit miffed if you were one of the 503. Ah, oh, 
All right. <laughs> now, now, to be fair to Microsoft, I was actually pre-briefed on this product before it was launched. Okay. And can remember Ooh, being him. very excited about it because it uh, combined a lot of servers together in a very smart way and it was targeting a youth demographic. Ultimately, one of the reasons it didn't go there is that whole kind of ethos, which was driven from the sidekick which Microsoft had acquired just before. And to try and give a complete package was sort of going away as the kind of the idea of apps and web mm. being wrapped into your smartphone came in. But it was they a lovely were, concept. A lovely it concept. was a lovely concept. And originally they were saying, we're just going to charge $10 a month for the data part of it. That really attracted me. And that was really attractive. But in the end, Verizon basically backed down from the agreement that they'd had with Microsoft and ended up charging something like $40, $50 for the data. And so the cost of ownership per month with $80 as opposed to $20 or $30. Far too high for the demographic. And it was far too high for the demographic. I think it would have been a very different story if they'd got it you know, right in that first time round. But ultimately, it was one of these kind of dead-end projects, which was probably just a few years too late and didn't move with the times. But I think it's probably perhaps a little unfairly tarred with the brush because it did have some really interesting ideas around social media usage and all the photos and messages that you had got on your phone would be put into one big stream that you could then share with friends, very much like uh, you know Facebook and all the social things we do today. So in some sense, it's very ahead of its time, but probably based on a preset that was a couple of years out of date. Worth a Google on that one. Okay, a slightly less consumer-centric one. I want to move on. Do you remember the wholesale application community? Yes. Oh, that was a big success. What a massive success that was, yes. Right, go on, go what, through it. What on earth was it, Ralph Blanford? You know what? I can't uh, actually remember okay. all that much about well, it. It was announced, it was, basically, it was MWC, it was announced. It was a yeah, la- it, large announcement there, it was, it was standards from operators about how apps would work and connect and interact with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And app stores from operators. The context is the iTunes app store was going was big. really going big now. People were really thinking this is the way ahead. The developers were piling into the Apple ecosystem and the operators want to say, oh, we've got one as well. Uh, well, one. no, we should control app stores because we have the relationship with the customer. So Rafe has his six-year rule for smartphone ecosystems and I have Ben's law. Yeah, Ben's if, first law. Ben's first law, which is if your press briefing includes the words driven by an operator consortium, you'll be dead within a year. And, well, it wasn't quite a well, year. Well, that's worked because there's a wholesale application community. Yeah. A lot of nonsense. Feel operator for- consortium. Check. Yes, yeah. Feel for all the people you know who joined that thinking it was going to be a career. Do you remember Weave I Mobile do. Payments? I do. And I... I I used Ben's first law to write about that, going, what are they thinking? ISIS was uh, very similar in the States. And then they're still at it. There's now the App Quality Alliance, which is sort of another one of these. What are they thinking? Well, yeah, I kind of want to be polite and give them the benefit of the doubt, but I can't disagree with Ben's law. It's spot on. The problem is that operators aren't agile enough to be effective in this space in their own right. You put a group of them in a room, you might as well just burn the money because you'll be done with it more quickly. But back in 2010, right, it's only five years ago, they will have been sat in committee meetings at the GSMA and so on thinking, we still control the customer. But back then, and maybe still now, but certainly back then, there was a real sense of entitlement that the operators just couldn't understand that anyone else was going to own the relationship, that people needed them the operators just needed to work out how to express that. And Apple was the aberration. It was the yeah. exception. Because all the other they're... manufacturers were in bed with the operators because yeah. they were their primary customers and so would go along with these new things being put on the devices or you know, yeah. some kind of compatibility. And just for context, we need to remember that smartphones weren't big no. at this point. This is the, perhaps the biggest thing about five years 
on from now. We've gone through an inflection point for smartphone ownership. In the UK, the penetration rate was around 20%. We're now up to 70, 80%, depending on where you're measuring against mobile phone or total population. That's a pretty amazing step. We've gone from it being a minority thing to pretty much everyone and their dog having a smartphone. And that has changed the way we think about mobile. Really quickly, last one before we wrap up this walk down nostalgia lane, although it actually seems to be mostly <laughs> reminiscing about failures. Ovi Maps, do you remember? Nokia Maps, which are now here Maps, which are now for sale. Actually, <laughs> may, may have been sold, I presume, by the time this goes out, but we'll, 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 find, we'll out. find out. But it went free, and we all went to uh, Millbank Mill Tower. Was I there? I can't you remember. Were, I yes, on. you were sticking your camera in my face. Was I? Oh, asking Ask, your asking opinion. questions. Whereas, you were really excited, from, now I'm remembering. Well, yeah. at the time, it was actually a pretty um, bold You were astonished, move. if I remember. The maps were really good, weren't they, though? I they, mean, they were good, and actually, you basically got offline navigation for free and this was a product that was in every phone and yet this was a product that TomTom Tom traditionally charged you about 100 quid for having a standalone yeah. GPS quite far-sighted in that sense and if we look now actually pretty much Maps has become a standard free offering on the phones and so you know, it was one of these examples where Nokia had exactly the right idea but perhaps there were oh, <laughs> other dear. problems they could have been a contender. They well, could they have been a contender a long time. I think I can forgive them whatever else they did wrong with Maps after that, just because they recognised the whole idea about OV and the whole idea of Maps being an integral part was the fact that people were going to buy into an ecosystem, not just a device. And that was incredibly far-sighted and they didn't pull it off. What? But and actually, you've got to OV? give them credit for being ahead of it. Yeah. OV was their, their app store? It was their app store, it was their, their maps, it was their, their uh, media. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was gaming, it was uh, photo sharing and storage. Yeah. And, and it was actually, it, ago, it was announced before the OV Maps announcement, kind of a Go Play event that was also held in London. But they absolutely had that vision of an ecosystem-led world and they were right about it. It was just the execution wasn't right. There's one more five-year thing I do want to mention and that was the iPad was announced for the first time that year. And oh, so yeah. the whole tablet thing has happened in the last five years. And now tablets are in 50% of UK households. Wow. That has happened remarkably quickly, yeah. hasn't it? Okay, well, that was, uh, yeah, an interesting ramble down memory lane. So we've done five years and we've done Where 10 years. Five, that's fascinating. So 2015 now, right? 2020, goodness me, we're going to be flying to the moon. Meant to have 2.5 billion smartphones in the market by then. <sighs> 10 times increase in uh, data over the net cellular networks. So I think the changes will be just as big in the next five years, if not bigger. Wow. So the last couple of weeks, we've been asking you to write in with your questions and mm. comments. And would you know it, only some of you have actually bleeding done and gone that. Done Excellent. That. Yep. <laughs> so um, I didn't see that one coming at all. So if you've got a question or a comment for us, you can uh, go to 361podcast.com and there's a contact tab there where you can call or email us or you can get us at 361podcast. Now, Steve, I apologise, I'm going to get your surname wrong, but Steve Norris-Tari, I'm going to say, is probably how it's uh, written in. And first of all, thanks, Hi, Steve. Thanks, Steve, because we know Steve because he says hello to us on Twitter sometimes, but he's also written a really nice review of the show on his website. And he's very, his website? He's very generous. He's got his own personal blog, right. uh, ntsteve.blogspot.hu. So right. I don't know where Steve lives, but uh, blogspot.hu. Is that not hungry? I think it is, yeah. ntsteve.blogspot.hu. Hungry rocks. Hi, go. Steve. Well, Steve, I don't know if you live there or you've just got a really cool blogspot domain, but um, he's written a nice review and he says we're good. So uh, we should definitely... He's, he's, thank you. he's, he's a yeah. gentleman of quality, definitely. Steve's written a long question, and you'll forgive me, Steve, for paraphrasing it. But basically what he's saying is... Does the team think that makes, models, and operating systems of mobile phones will ever fade in importance? Or 
do you think it would take five years or 10 years or never? And the reason he's asking, and he's, he's given a little bit of context, is he says, a few years ago, if you were out buying a DVD player, you would have really thought about the specs and the brand and the model and all that sort of stuff. And now it's become it such a commodity product, yeah. and I'm, I'm making this up now, but such a commodity product, you know, you can go and buy it in a supermarket. Yeah, yeah. And you, I don't know if you can even buy them anymore. You, you, they were so commodity that I yeah. think they just stopped. And, and so what he's saying is, could that ever happen? They give them away with Kellogg's exactly. conflicts now. Exactly. And it's essentially because although you can buy very, very high-end DVD players, for most people, mm. even if you could afford to spend more, you don't need to because you can buy a perfectly good one, probably perhaps bundled in with your TV or something. You're not even fussy about it. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting point, Steve, and he also sort of suggests perhaps the car market was the same thing. But we'll mm. go with the DVD player one because that was the one that kind of felt real for me. So what do you guys reckon? Gosh. Right, okay, I'll, I'll go first to Rafe because I think Rafe is busy processing. Is he processing or has he dozed off? Put your pillow back. Yeah. Right, my view here is we need to look at brand. So I think brand is still going to be very important for a long time. I don't think we're going to be walking around with faceless devices because so much effort has been put into making these things a fashion item. So I think we are safe for the foreseeable future. I reckon, you know, I could imagine a Tom Cruise-like world whereby we all just have one rolling newspaper thing because that's all you need. Like um, a minority report. I'm thinking minority report, really, yeah. But I think at the moment, we are so wedded to having a brand and a style that I think we will still retain that. I don't think we'll have one generic comms device. For my money, for I'd say no, it's different because the um, TVs and DVD players and those consumer electronics aren't part of ecosystems. If you'd asked about games, consoles and that kind of stuff, it would have been different. And I think no, that the brand is going to matter because actually you'll be buying Apple or Google or whatever comes along to replace it. And so you're probably right in one respect, you won't really give very much of a monkeys about what's in your phone or what's in your tablet. It'll just be good enough and fast yeah, enough. How many and gigabytes as Gigamix, well. yeah, yeah, glossy enough. But what you will know is you definitely will have made sure that you bought from the ecosystem so that you get your photos and your media and all that sort of stuff. And that ecosystem lock-in is going to be very very present for an easy five, 10 years going forwards. Yeah, I agree with the point about it being your personal device and fashion has always been more brand centric than anything else. And compared to a DVD player, the thing that you carry around with you all the time is much more important to you in expressing your identity as an individual. But absolutely, this stuff is becoming commoditized. They're all the same. It's just the label on the outside. So I do think the brands in this space become a lot more vulnerable. And we've already seen this happen in the Indian and the Chinese market with the rise of these homegrown brands like Xiaomi, or Spice Mobile in India, or any of the others, which have displaced the existing brands. And so... Still I, brands in themselves. Yeah, but they don't have the same brand cachet or power, I think, fair, fair as, as what is yeah. existing. So it's quite possible to see a path where that gradually dissolves away, particularly for the lower half of the market. You know, that's the same with clothes. Most people wouldn't know what brand of clothes they wear if they're not fashion labels and i can see that happening in the phone space but i do agree with ben there will still be this ecosystem so you'll buy an android phone a windows phone apple may be an acceptance but actually i think uh, steve has a point here i think there will be erosions of brand and they just won't hold the same value and particularly when we think about the broader picture as mobile devices become less isolated and part of a wider 
kind of network of things in your life and the cloud and all of that, the actual name on the phone will matter far less than it ever has before. And I think, you know, that clear tie between one and the other is not going to be there, particularly as I say in that bottom half of the market. Okay, guys, we have to wrap it up. We had uh, loads of other feedback as well. So thank you to everyone who's written in. And Uh actually, somebody tweeted us in a topic that we thought was so good, we're actually going to make it an episode later in this season. But we'll uh, we'll tell you all about that when we've actually done it. So thank you, everyone. And keep writing in. We really appreciate all your comments and uh, and feedback. uh, Insults. And and insults for Rafe Blanford, especially as well. (laughs) Uh, So that's really good. Don't forget, you can win the smartphone that you think is the best on the market at the moment. Uh Thanks to our friends from togamobiles.com. We've already told you ad nauseum how to do it and you can go to the website and read all about it but the key thing is you really need to sign up for the newsletter did we mention the newsletter we're quite proud of our newsletter sign up for the newsletter tell us what you think of it Okie dokie. Well, look, thanks very much, guys. Always good to see you. More than likewise. A couple of thank yous, as ever. Um, yes. Editorial assistance this week from Emma Krauss, research from Roland Banks. It was mixed and edited by Mark Cotner of audiowrangler.co.uk. As ever, studio venue by Digitas LBI. Thank you to all of those people who made the show possible. It's been a pleasure, gents. See you soon. And uh, we'll be back next week with episode four. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can comment, subscribe and catch up with previous episodes at 361podcast.com. If you're an iTunes user, we'd be jolly grateful for a five-star review. There's a link and pictures of how to rate the show at 361podcast.com slash rate. Each review makes it lots easier for new listeners to find us. 